Well, if you're like me, there are probably a lot of things that your parents did that didn't make a lot of sense to you while you were growing up. For instance, it didn't make sense to me that my mom usually said no to buying the snack cup size ice creams from the Schwann's man. Other people know what the Schwann's man is? People know what that is? <laughs> you know what it is, John? Okay, so there would be this refrigerated truck. It's kind of like the ice cream truck, but it would come around, I don't know, once a week or once a month, and they had all these frozen dinners and frozen ice cream and whatnot in there, and they'd show up at your house, and they'd bring you the order book, and then you'd place your order for what you wanted out of the truck, and then you'd have it at that moment, so we'd get you know, TV dinners and ice cream. And I always wanted little snack cups of ice cream, and my mom always said, no, we can't get that. We're going to get the big tub uh, because that's a better deal. It didn't make sense to me that I wasn't allowed to watch the Austin Powers movies uh, when I was 11. Mom, please, I just want to watch it. It's so funny. All my friends are doing it. It didn't make sense that I didn't get every toy uh, that I saw in the wall or the Kmart, Kmart, Kmart toy aisle that we would go to for you know shopping and whatnot. And it was like, I want to walk through the toys, and why can't I have all the ones that I want to get right now? And as a parent now, uh, all this makes a little more sense to me. Uh, another thing that often didn't make sense was I had to stop playing video games uh, to go do chores or to go play outside. Like, why can't they just play video games all day? What's wrong with that? And all this kind of makes more sense to me that as a parent. Now the Schwann's Man little ice cream cups cost more than the big tub, and my mom wanted to be able to feed me uh, other things besides the snack-sized ice cream cups because she wouldn't have money to buy other things otherwise. Uh, the Austin Powers movies are filled with inappropriate humor for an 11-year-old, so that makes sense to me. And if my parents bought me every toy I wanted at Kmart, we wouldn't have anything else to eat. And playing video games all day wouldn't teach me responsibility or life skills. So that makes more sense to me now that, oh, that's why she didn't let me do all those things I wanted to do. And we're in this series called The Joy of Being Loved. Six weeks on joy, and particularly the joy of being loved. That they, We might say we enjoy lots of things. I enjoyed that movie. I enjoyed that vacation. But primarily we're looking at joy as a relational thing, that joy says to someone, I'm glad to be with you. I like you. I'm happy to be in this relationship with you. That's what joy is. It's the joy of being loved. And when someone gives us that, the joy that they have in us, we experience that joy of being loved. And what we're doing in this series is learning to experience the joy of being loved. And here's this quote uh, that we talked about uh, last week. We were made for the joy of being loved by God. That that's what God made us, and so we're always going to long for his love more than anybody else's because we're made for the joy of being loved by God. And today we're talking about gratitude. And this is just probably the easiest and one of the uh, just fastest ways to get to joy from not feeling joy. And so I just want you to repeat this, this idea for me with me. Um, gratitude is the on-ramp to joy. Can we say that together? Gratitude is the on-ramp to joy. And that's not my quote. It's from several books I've read on this topic. But talking about that if we want to get to joy, gratitude is the on-ramp there. And for me, I didn't receive a lot of my parents' actions as love. They didn't make sense to me. Or, uh, you know, it's like they're af- actually feeling like you're sucking the fun out of life. Like you're taking joy from me. I can't get the little ice cream cups. I can't play video games. You know, whatever it is, uh, you're taking joy from me. And so I often didn't experience their love uh, as love that they were doing for me. And looking back, you know, they were loving me in ways that didn't make sense to me then. But even more than that, my parents did a lot of things to love me that I was basically oblivious to. I wasn't aware of the ways they were loving me. Uh, for instance, you know, I didn't see them going to work to make money to pay for things for our family as an act of love. 
or them paying for gas and electricity bills, taking all those bills that you know, we didn't freeze to death or uh, just be scorched in the summer, uh, that they were cleaning the house was a way of loving me, keeping the soap and shampoo in stock so that I could, have, uh, so I could clean uh, myself, uh, meal planning and grocery shopping and so on, all these things they did that I might have even seen but didn't think of as a way to love me. And gratitude is how we become aware of how we're being loved, that it opens our eyes to see the ways that somebody is loving us. And like our parents, God is loving us all the time in ways that don't make sense to us or that we aren't aware of or that we see but that we aren't receiving as love. And I want to share with you this quote. It's from a book called Joyful Journey. And it has uh, some has gratitude. It talks about gratitude and God being with us in uh, our life. And so they said this, Gratitude opens us up to the presence of God. Gratitude is a password into our awareness of the presence of God. And we specifically choose gratitude because it, because it is the easiest and fastest path to connection. And because throughout Scripture, God in his wisdom has always encouraged us to give thanks. Emmanuel means that God is always with us and desires to interact with us in all situations. I just like that first sentence. Gratitude opens us up to the presence of God. That, and the, the reality is that it's an awareness thing. God is always with us. God is always loving us. And what is the issue is whether we are aware of that or not. So gratitude is a way that we begin to see God's presence in our lives and all the daily little things that go on uh, that we often just uh, don't see or take for granted. So I just want you to ask, this, you know, ask yourself this question. Maybe you want to write it down. Uh, in what ways has God loved you today? Or in what ways has God loved you this past week? Uh, and sometimes we might be like, well, you know, 10 years ago there was this crazy thing that happened. Like I was in a car crash and God saved me from that. And so that was God's love. But being aware of God's love for us all the time is, how did God love you today? How did God love you this past week? And that's really what gratitude is, is looking back and seeing, God, what are those ways you were loving me throughout the week uh, that I can really see you were present in my life taking care of me? And so the psalm, like I said, the passage we're going to look at is Psalm 136. And... We're starting in verses 1 through 3, which are like an introduction to the psalm. Verses 1 through 3, Psalm 136. And the theme here that we see is in the very first words, give thanks. And that, every single sentence in here, in the in this psalm, almost every sentence, is starting with the words, give thanks. And so first it says, give thanks uh, to the Lord. When I'm asked, well, why? Why should we give thanks to the Lord? The Lord. It says, for or because he is good. And because of his, his steadfast love endures forever. So two reasons to give thanks to the Lord, to God, is that one, he is good, which means he, you know, he's absolutely good. He never does bad. He never does anything evil. He never does anything to us that is not for our greatest good. And even if in the short term we might dislike it a lot. But God is always good, no matter what we may be thinking or feeling or experiencing. And secondly, because his steadfast love endures forever. And so this phrase gets repeated 26 times. Uh, how many verses is this psalm? It's not 26 verses, and it gets repeated 26 times in this psalm. And so his steadfast love endures forever. And so that's the repeated thing here. And like, maybe we just repeat that too. Uh, so let's say together, his steadfast love endures forever. I'll do it again, sorry. His steadfast love endures forever. And so now, look, we've repeated it 27 times. But since he's repeating it, I figure we should repeat it too. That's what this He's trying to get through to us. That's the message, is that God's love for us is steadfast. It endures forever. It doesn't change. But we have to ask, well, what is it? 
Uh, what is steadfast love? What does that mean? And different translations, this is like a really powerful Hebrew word uh, that is really hard to capture in like one or two words. It, sometimes people have like, you know, a paragraph of how to define this word. And the Hebrew word is, you've got to kind of clear your throat when you say it, chesed. Chesed. It's like an H-E-S-E-D, or it could be K-H-E-S-E-D, giving you that little chesed. It's like this really powerful word. And it's basic to who God is. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. Moses asks God, show me your glory. And God says, I'll make all my goodness pass by you. And one of the things he says to Moses in revealing himself to Moses, his glory and his goodness, is he says, I'm abounding in steadfast love, in chesed. And it's one of five characteristics that God says there. Like, Moses, you want to know who I am? I'm abounding in steadfast love and uh, in chesed. And so here's a couple, I'm not going to read, I combined a couple definitions just to read some of how people uh, talk about it. So it combines the ideas of love, generosity, enduring commitment, compassion, uh, and all on behalf of someone in dire need, springing from promise-keeping loyalty. Now I'm going to give you a shorter definition in a minute, so if you didn't get all that done, it's okay. And it's relationship-driven. If you're in this relationship, if someone is in a relationship with you that they've promised themselves to you, you can count on their chesed, their steadfast love, to come to your aid with generosity and compassion and mercy to help you in your time of dire need. And uh, Hudson and I are reading this. It's a pretty famous um, kid's book, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And the way, I mean, you could say the way they translate it, but this isn't a, a translation. It's just, you know, kind of paraphrased stories from the Bible. Uh, but the way that they say it in here is, God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And so it's just, it's not going to stop, it's not going to give up, it's not going to break, it's always and forever love. And uh, I think a good way to maybe say it is uh, God's no matter what love for his people. It's like God, people that he commits to, it's a no matter what love, it's steadfast, it's going to endure, nothing's going to happen to it. It's God's no matter what love for his people. And then in verses 2 through 3, okay, who are we giving thanks to? Give thanks to the Lord for he's good, his steadfast love endures forever. And then verses 2 and 3, it talks about who God is. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. And so God of gods, you could think of that as more like God's general name. This is the God, the creator, the one who made everything. That's like God kind of in general. But then when you know God personally, uh, the Old Testament word is Lord, usually in, uh, it's in all caps in most translations, um, but it doesn't have it here. But we're, when he's talking about Lord of Lords, it's like, this is the God now I know as my king, not just the creator, but I've come into relationship as the Lord of Lords. It's God's uh, being very personal. Well, then we must ask, okay, well, how has he loved us? How has he shown his goodness? We're supposed to give thanks to him because of his goodness and because of his love. Well, how is that love uh, shown in our daily lives? And the first answer to that is, in verses 4 through 9, God has loved us through creation. Verses 4 through 9, God has loved us through creation. And he doesn't, the psalm doesn't repeat the words give thanks here, but it's assumed that before each of these sentences, verse 4 says, To him who alone does great wonders, as we're supposed to put in there, give thanks to him alone who does great wonders. Verse 5, give thanks to him who by understanding made the heavens. Verse 6, give thanks to him who spread out the earth. So give thanks is what's... Uh, coming before each of these things, and they repeat uh, after that. And verse 4 says his great wonders. Uh, he says, uh, praise, for, sorry, looking the wrong one, to him who alone does great wonders, thinking about the wonderful works of God, of how he has, uh, 
created this world, like when we look around, uh, we see the wonderful works of God in what he's created, that he's created this place with just like crazy beauty, things that aren't even like, uh, they might have some sort of function, but are just pretty to be pretty, you know? And it's like God has made a wonderful world to look at. And in verse 5 it says, uh, by his understanding he made the heavens. So God has put a, a logic and a flow and a wisdom into how the world works. And as you look around, you see all things connect together and how it makes sense. And he just goes through all these things. Uh, give thanks to him who spread out the earth. Give thanks to him who made the great lights. Who give thanks to the one who made the sun to rule over the day, the moon and the stars to rule over the night. And it goes on creation. Why did he do this? For his steadfast love endures forever. And if we went back to the very first chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, we see God creates a good world. He says six times, it's good, it's good, it's good. And he gave it to us for us to live in. And then even if you go, well, well, you might say, well, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, yeah, that was how God started off relating to people. But then Genesis 3, things got really messed up. Adam and Eve, the first humans, turned away from God. And so now because they turned away from God, God's no longer caring for us in any way in this world. It's like, we kind of messed it up, and he's kind of like, you know, fine, you want to live in that slum, you want to, you made it into a slum, you'll just live there, and you won't have my presence, no longer loving you. Well, we find out that that's not true at all, because Matthew chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus talking about the Sermon on the Mount, it says that God makes his son, S-U-N, God's son, he makes it rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain to the just and the unjust. So it's like, even though we've messed things up, it's still God making the sun rise, making the rains come to not just the good people, but the just and the unjust, the evil and the good. And in Luke chapter, 60, or chapter 6, verses 32 through 36, Jesus is hitting his sermon on that. He's talking about God is good to the evil and the ungrateful. And so we're supposed to be giving thanks to God for creation. And even though we're ungrateful, God continues to care for us, to love us through what he has made. And then we also see in um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus telling his disciples, like, you don't have to worry. Look, look around. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. God's feeding the birds. God's clothing the flowers. You might be like, well, I mean, the birds got their own food. It's not like they sat in the nest and then God, like, brought them worms. Like, they're going out and doing it. Um, but, and, but that's how everything works, right? Like, I ate uh, beef last night. I didn't go out and kill a cow that somebody else did and that through a process of things that God uses the processes of the world God's provided a world for the birds to get food and he keeps everything living uh, by his power and upholds it by his power and so Jesus says look at the birds and the flowers they're cared for by God you are cared for as well by God 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 tells us that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy that this creation is supposed to be a place that we enjoy thanking God for it, thanking us for his love and giving us a world that's so enjoyable. But in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, it says creation shows us what God is like, uh, shows us his power, his divine attributes. This is what God is like. It's supposed to tell us he's good and loving, uh, but what Romans 1 then tells us is that we have ingratitude, that we suppress the truth of what God is like. That even though we have this world, uh, we just enjoy it and take advantage of it uh, without thanking the one who gave it to us. And so ingratitude is how we're described, is that we're supposed to respond with gratitude, and yet we are people of ingratitude. And you would think, like, ingratitude is such a small thing. Like, surely that's not as bad as, like, murdering somebody. And that's not exactly what 
the author saying, but it's that ingratitude leads toward murdering someone. That ingratitude leads towards oppressing people, leads us towards not loving people, because if we're not grateful to the one who gave it to us, then we start using ourselves in this world for our own purposes. And in Genesis 3, we saw that the path away from God was ingratitude, and so the path back to God is gratitude. That Adam and Eve, they were not the serpent, that Satan in the form of a serpent got them to doubt God's goodness. And it's like, yeah, I guess, you know, maybe God is holding out on us. Maybe we'd be better off on our own. And so this path of ingratitude is the path away from God. And so gratitude is the path back to God. And so we can ask the question, does God love me? And the psalmist saying, well, look around. <laughs> look at all this whole world. Uh, God created it out of his goodness and out of his love. And so this whole world was created with love. It was created in love uh, for you, for us, provided for us to enjoy. And we can ask, the, maybe you can ask the question this week, uh, what does creation tell me about God? What is this world that I live in, what does creation tell me about God and what he is like? And so that's creation. Secondly, he's loved us through salvation. So verses 10 through 16. And again, it's completing the sentence, give thanks to, and then it goes on with all these actions, to the God who did blank. So verse 10, give thanks to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever, to him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea for steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness for steadfast love endures forever, and so on and so on. It's like one big sentence. <laughs> it's just like, man, that would have taken about 20 seconds to say, but it like gets you know, uh, just pulled out. It's like a one sentence describing how God has acted on behalf of his people, the people of Israel. Uh, and it's like, instead of it just being like, Here's what happened. It's like, let me give you piece by piece. And why do you do that? Because of his steadfast love. Because there's no matter what love, that you were in dire need, and he brought his compassion, his generosity, and his mercy, and he acted on your behalf because of the promises he had made to you as a people, as a nation. And we see these actions. He defeated their enemies. He made a way through the sea. He overthrew enemies, led through the wilderness. He struck down enemies. He gave them the land. And if you're not familiar with the story of Israel and the Exodus, this is describing... You know, kind of in the New Testament times, we look at like, oh, Jesus on the cross, his death and resurrection. That's our event we look to, is that's when salvation happened. And prior to Jesus, the people of Israel look back to the Exodus. It's like that was the moment that God showed his love for us, that he acted on our behalf to free us and to re uh, rescue us from our enemies. And the people of Israel didn't start off as slaves in Egypt, but uh, that eventually happened over a couple uh, hundred years. And so once they were slaves, God had already promised to them, like, I'm going to be with you. I'm gonna, I love you. I made these promises to you. And I'm going to one day give you this land, the land of Israel, Palestine. I'm going to give this to you, and you're going to have it, but it's going to be delayed. They have 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And they got to Egypt because there was a famine where they lived, and they were saved because of God's provision through food in Egypt, um, actually through one of their family members. But then eventually the pharaohs, the kings of Egypt, come up and they're like, I don't remember why these people are here. Let's put them to work. Uh, and so they become slaves. And then God, after 400 years, comes and says, it's time. I've heard my people's cries. I see what's going on for them. And I'm going to do something about it now. So he call, uses a man named Moses, 
leads them out. And all these events, he uses uh, the ten plagues to get them out of Egypt. Finally, Pharaoh says, okay, you can go. Just make this stop. All these things that God's bringing upon me. And then they're leaving, and God defeats their enemies chasing them. They go through the Red Sea. Uh, God splits it in, you know, so they can walk through on dry land. And then they get through that, and they have these kings that they need to defeat on the way to the land that God wants to give them. And they're wandering in the wilderness. And he's and the author is saying, look, God was taking care of us that whole time, giving us this land, rescuing us. This whole story that we have in our background, uh, God was loving us through that. And if you zoomed into each of those stories, you know, each of these sentences is like an action, a different scene in the story. If you zoomed into each of them, you'd find people who are struggling with doubt and even outright denying that God is good or that God loves them. And at the time of the writing of this psalm, this would have been like 500, 700 years in the past. Uh, so it's like, look back then, what God did five or 700 years ago uh, that was his love for us. The reason we exist today as a nation, not, not the United States, but Israel saying this to themselves, we exist because of what God did for us. And for us, we look back at the cross 2,000 years ago, not five or 700 years ago, in the past. And just like the Exodus still proved God's love for people of Israel, even though it happened way back when, the cross too, for us, Jesus, God demonstrating his love for us in Jesus dying so that we could have a relationship with God is a demonstration of God's love. It proves he still loves us. It's like, you know, God, I don't know if you love me. And it's like, well, could you just show me? And it's like, well, look back. Uh, that's the, in the previous one, creation. is God, do you love me? Well, look around at the world. And in this, it's, God, do you, do you love me? Do you still love me? Well, look back. Look, I proved my love for you. Uh, I did the, the biggest thing I could do to prove my love. And so you don't have to doubt it now in this moment. And God's love endures and it is always with us. And if we looked in Ephesians chapter 1, we see that even before God created the world, we were chosen in love to be adopted into his family. And so salvation is all God created with love, and God saves with love. He chooses out of his great love for us. And so maybe you could ask yourself, what has God done to save you? You look at the various steps in this journey, and you might be like, well, you know, in high school, this is how things were going. And then in college, you know, things got really wild. And then so one day, it's like God said, is this all there is? is this, you know, we were asking yourself, is this all there is? And, you know, so on and so forth. May I have all these stages of how God intervened in your life out of his love uh, to rescue you from the darkness that you were living in. You might ask, how did he pursue you? In a way, this is a love story, right? It's uh, saying, why did God do all this for you, Israel? Uh, because of steadfast love for you, his commitment. It's how did, and you could ask, how did God pursue me? How do I see God pursuing me in his love through my life to bring me into a relationship with him? And then he, the psalm moves into a little bit different direction. Verses 23 through 25. It breaks the pattern because the, we've been completing this sentence, give thanks to the one who did this. But now, verse 23, uh, the previous two were creation in the past, salvation in the past, and now it brings it into the present. So it's how has he loved us, and now it's how he loves us presently, right now. And so it says this, It is he who remembered us in our lowest state, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so... It's bringing it into saying us. That wasn't said before. Like, he did this for us. He did that for us. All the previous ones were 
He created and he saved. And now it's saying us. He rescues us in our humble estate. And really, humble estate just means uh, needy. <laughs> Very needy. Not able to do it for yourself. Uh, vulnerable. Weak. We might have a hard time admitting that to ourselves. Like, I'm not needy. Like, <laughs> I'm not a broken person. I've kind of got things together. I make good choices. I have a good job. Like, I didn't waste my money. Like, I'm not one of these broken people that needs to be rescued. Uh, and actually, everyone is. <laughs> uh, probably to an equal degree. That some of us feel it more than others. And so we're like, that's why Jesus always said, uh, the poor people were coming to him. Because they're like, yeah, I feel needy. <laughs> I feel like my life is messed up. I feel like I need help. Uh, but the more money we get, the more in control we feel. And so he's, us, we have to admit, I'm of humble estate. I'm needy. I'm in need. And it says God remembers us. And that doesn't mean it was like, oh, oh, there's some needy people down there I'm supposed to be taking care of. I better get back on. I got kind of distracted by, I don't know, the water co- I was talking about the water cooler too long. It's not like God all of a sudden like forgot us and remembered us. But what remembering means is that God is now going to act according to his steadfast love on our behalf, like, uh, it's not saying he forgot, but I'm now acting in accordance with my steadfast love. This is the right time, and this is the right way I'm going to do it. And so we're told God loves us through rescuing us. And then God also loves us through provision of food. Verse 25, he who gives food to all flesh, everyone in the world. And so the provision of food is put right alongside salvation, the exodus, the cross. It's like, I'm providing food for you. And also, by the way, uh, I've shown my love in sending Jesus to die so that I could bring you and pay for the penalty of your sin. God loves us in both the grand and in the small. And then the psalm concludes with just a conclusion, verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. Now as we consider making this personal for ourselves, uh, that this psalm becomes actually our psalm. You could even do an exercise where you just write this out. Like, you know, God, let me just think about my life in general. Um, you did this for me. You provided food. Give me a home. You did this, this, and that. And then you could go more into, uh, okay, how you saved me. So it's like, in general, how has God provided for me with my whole life story? And then also, how has God provided for me in saving me, bringing me into relationship with Him? And just tracing those steps. And after each phase, just writing... For his steadfast love endures forever. That's why he did it. But many of us are in enemy mode with God. And one way to think of any enemy mode um, is that you only see pain or problems. You only see the pain or problem that this person has caused or hasn't relieved you of. And if we only see problems with God, we see, well, you caused this problem for me. Or here's this problem you haven't taken away. Like, I'm just seeing problems. God, like, where are you? I've got this problem. You haven't done anything about it. Or this pain. Like, you allowed that to happen. You allowed me to get sick in that way. You allowed me to lose my kid. You allowed me to lose my job. Like, God, why? Why would you let my mom die so young? Like, you allowed that to happen. And so we look at God, and if we're in enemy mode, we just see the problems we think he's caused or hasn't taken away. Or we see the pain that we think he's caused or hasn't taken away. And say, God, I don't, I don't love you. You're against me. Like, why would I ever care about you if you don't care about me with these pain and problems? One thing to ask is, you know, can you feel positive feelings about God right now? That's kind of a good test of whether you're in enemy mode with God or somebody else. Can I feel positive feelings about God or about this person right now? And so we're in enemy mode with God when we think he doesn't love us. He's just against me. He's not with me. He's far away. He's not close enough to love me. It's like he kind of let everything 
created this world and let it spin, and now he's just standing off watching it you know, be messed up and burn. And so we don't think God loves us because, like we talked about at the beginning, how he's loving us doesn't make sense to us. And we talked about as our parents, we might not experience their love because what they're doing doesn't make sense. Why won't you let me watch Austin Powers? Or whatever it is today. It's like, why? You, this doesn't make sense. This is what I want to do. This would make me happy so we don't experience it as love. Or he's loving us in many ways that we aren't aware of. Like, oh, I didn't realize my food came from him or I could thank him for my job or that he had all these events down through the history of my life that brought me uh, to know him and love him. And so he's maybe also loving us in ways that we don't think of as love. If you were to be kind of a fly on the wall or a spectator at um, my family's opening of Christmas presents and my wife's opening, family's opening of Christmas presents, you'd experience two very different uh, scenes. Uh, because Katie's family, um, what we do is like each person gets their turn. You sit there and then maybe we have all of our gifts and then it's like, okay, it's Katie and Mitch's turn and then we hand out, you know, this is for you, Greta and Tess, and then they open it and then they say thank you to the person that gave it to them. It's like a very, you know, scheduled routine and it's like even when kids are young it's like we got you start training and like say thank you and be like thank you they're like looking around like i don't remember which uncle thank you right, right here here's uncle mark thank you <laughs> it's like so but they get trained so eventually it's like very ordered very uh there's gratitude is expressed there's a gift exchange there's gratitude uh but with my family way different basically it's a free-for-all uh, and you just go under the tree and you find your presents or people are handing it to you and you're just like ripping them open as fast as you can. And then sometimes at the end of it, it's, oh yeah, um, who gave me this one? Oh, uh, thanks, mom and dad. Oh, no, sorry, Ke- Kelly gave me that. Yeah, so we like open the presents and like even the kids like don't totally forget. Uh, maybe right at the end, like we'll say, okay, say thank you, grandma and grandpa for the present. Thank you, you know, and it's like uh, a lot different. And with God... God's giving us gifts every day, but we only will receive it as a gift from him if we check the name tag, like check the tag that says, from God. Like, I'm only going to thank my sister for giving me a gift if I check the tag before I open it. And it's like, oh, this is Kelly, gave this to me, she bought this for me, and I'm going to open it, and now I'm going to appreciate that she gave it to me. But so often we don't look at the tag with all the gifts that God is giving us in life. And so... It's possible to be given many, 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 many gifts, truckloads of gifts, but to never be thankful because we just think, oh, this is kind of what I deserve. I'm entitled to this. It's not a gift. It's like, this is how life should be. And then we just take it for granted. And so relational mode, we talked about enemy mode. Relational mode, the way into relational mode with God is through gratitude and appreciation. And gratitude is both an identifier and a practice for returning to a relational mode. So it's like, if I'm feeling like, God, there's just all these pain and problems you put in my life. Okay, gratitude gets me to a place to say, I'm now aware of how you've loved me in creation every day, in saving me, and in now today, even freeing me from the power of sin and those things that hold me down and make me more like your son, Jesus. And so gratitude is an identifier. If I can be grateful to God right now, that tells me I'm in relational mode with him. And if I can't, that means I'm in enemy mode, only seeing pain or problems. And... It's also a practice for returning to relational mode. Like, oh, I'm so mad, God, are you even here? Okay, let me just take a minute and look at all the ways that he is here, that he's obviously showing me that he's a part of my life. And one way to think of it is, um, I appreciate the gifts that make me smile and feel loved. 
And so this is just a great starting point to joy. Gratitude is the easiest and fastest path to connection with God. And we said earlier that gratitude is the on-ramp to joy. And this whole series is the joy of being loved. And this psalm tells us God is loving us all the time. It's steadfast. It's not like, eh, I feel like loving you during that decade, and then I kind of took my eye off the wheel for a while. No, God's steadfast love is always and forever. It's permanent. It's His no matter what love. And that includes people who have trusted in Jesus and people who are totally turned their back on God and said, I don't want anything to do with you. God brings His reign and His Son on the just and the unjust, on the good and the evil. God is loving every single person that exists today and who always has existed. And we can also experience more of that by coming into a saving relationship with Him, trusting in Jesus. And now it's, you've loved me in all these general ways in creation, but now I can see your particular way you've loved me. And so gratitude is the easiest and fastest path to the joy of being loved. We were made for the joy of being loved by God. And gratitude is the on-ramp to the joy of being loved. And so here's just a thing that can encourage us. Joy is always possible because gratitude is always possible. And gratitude is always possible because God is always loving us. So joy is always possible. Maybe just say that to the person next to you. Joy is always possible. Let's try that out. You can say it to me, Ryan. Joy is always possible. Isn't that like a good, good thing? Like, I feel like I have nothing to be thankful for. I have nothing to enjoy. It's like, joy is always possible because gratitude is always possible. And gratitude is always possible because God is always loving us. He always has and He always will. His love stays the same, steadfast, enduring, permanent, constant, reliable. And why does the psalm repeat it 26 times? It's because it's so hard for us to believe and because we often forget it and we regularly doubt it. And it's like taking a nail and being like some, some types of wood, like you can just pound a nail in and like one hit. And some it's just like you're banging forever. And it's like we are so ungrateful that we just do not see God's love for us. And so it's like 26 times, let me pound this nail in to, you know, to get it, get it through like that God loves you. And it's just like 26 times pounding that nail. And we can always be thankful because we are always loved. And gratitude is really practicing awareness, the awareness of God's loving presence in our lives, receiving the gifts he's giving us through creation, through salvation, that he's showering us with his goodness and his love. And um, one of my mentors in life, uh, Bill, whom some of you have met or heard preach, um, talks about seeing all of life as gift, that everything, every moment is gift or a gift. And it's coming to the place that God is with me and God is for me. So if I just something to take away for today, uh, which we'll repeat this together and we'll repeat at the end of the service, is that we are people who read the gift tag to thank the giver. We are people who read the gift tag to thank the, give, the giver. The gifts come, we read the tag, and we thank God instead of taking the giver for granted and forgetting him. So uh, let's, let's just say this in phrases like we're like you're getting married, repeating your vows after me or something. So we are people who read the gift tag to thank the giver. And just a couple tools that you could use to do that. One is... Um, Oh, I forgot to bring it. I can't believe that. I have this little tiny journal 
And my goal after reading this book, 1,000 Gifts, um, it's an interesting book to read, but the challenge this lady takes up is, I'm going to write down 1,000 gifts that God has given me. Try to get a list of 1,000. And you might be like, oh, that's not too hard. Like, I'll just do for my car, for my shoes, for my... And that gets you about 50. Uh, and then you have another 950 to go. I'm in like the 700s. It's been about two years. I was trying to do it in a year. And sometimes I've just been uh, irregular. So that's one thing. Like, start a gratitude journal and write uh, just three things a day or one thing a day. I'm grateful for this. And I was going to bring in and read you an entry, but... Um, the one I wrote this morning was uh, just for our bay windows. Like we have these amazing bay windows in our master bedroom uh, that were installed after the house was built. Later on, somebody you know, did a renovation, and you can just they let in tons of light, and you can just see out super far. We kind of have a hill that goes down. And I said, God, I'm just thankful for those bay windows. Like they're so cool. And it's like that's God's love. God's giving me that in my life. Another practice is when you're stressed. You know, a lot of times our phones actually make us stressed, but sometimes if you're stressed with your kids, your spouse, relationship, and if you have pictures of them on your phone, like if I'm just feeling stressed about parenting, it's like, let me just look through some pictures of Hudson, uh, my son, and Ezra, to remind myself of how much I love them and what a gift they are. And that gets me out of that enemy mode of being upset with them to be grateful for them. Another is to just thank God for food. Whenever you're eating, it's like, thank you for providing this, God. And thank you for those who prepared it. It's like God is feeding us every day. Just like Jesus said, look at the birds. They're not worrying about their food. And God's feeding you. And a way to give joy to others is to thank them, appreciate them, uh, see what they do and tell them how it's a blessing to you. Uh, saying to somebody, you know, I really just enjoy the little random jokes you make. Or I just really enjoy watching you uh, sing up here. And maybe that's something you do today. Like maybe someone in this room, you're like, you know They've, been, they've done this thing. Uh, I've seen them do it. They did it this morning. And you might just say, like, you know, thank you for doing that. I just really enjoy how you look out for other people. How you always open the door for me. And I never open any doors when you're around, that kind of thing. And so we want to be a people who say thank you a lot. Thank you to God. Thank you to each other. And just saying thank you. It's those two words, but they're really hard for us to say and to remember. Let's pray. Father, we want to be a people of gratitude, a people who read the gift tag to thank you as the giver and the gifts you give us through other people. We want to thank them too that you show your love through your people, through creation, uh, through your son dying on the cross for us. And so Lord, would you make us into an appreciative, grateful people that we would be experiencing the joy of being loved. In your son's name we pray. Amen.